Nerd Nightmare continues, and in perfect time for the season, we sit down with Mark Bernal of Lesser Known Comics to talk either them or us. Samurais vs. Witches in 1980s Japan? Sign us up. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome in to a new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, episode 124. In today's episode, Chris sits down with founder of Lesser Known Comics and writer uh, Mark Bernal, who uh, is talking about the upcoming book, Either Them or Us, which features samurais versus witches in 1980s Japan and will be on Kickstarter on October 18th. But first, as always, it is time for... Nerd News! All right, Chris, what is new in the nerd world? Well, um... The internet was completely taken over when um, Ryan Reynolds, star of Deadpool 3, the upcoming MCU entry of the Merc with the Mouth, um, announced that they were really looking for inspiration for the third film in the franchise, the first in the MCU. And then um, a all-too-well-known actor appeared in the background and Reynolds said, hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Yeah, sure, Ryan. Hugh Jackman is back to play Wolverine, apparently one last time, in Deadpool 3. Uh, they followed up with a subsequent video in true Deadpool fashion where they sat down to, quote, explain everything, but all of their explanations uh, was overrun by whams wake me up before you go go so details are scarce but hugh jackman is back um what this means um in reality how this is going to play out who knows my gut instincts is telling me it's going to be something like what we saw with uh, sir patrick stewart um in the multiverse of madness um and to be honest, with the banter that Jackman and Reynolds have had for the past decade or so, it was almost like a foregone conclusion that this had to happen. What are your thoughts, Dave? Well, I'm actually very pleased that this is happening. Um, obviously, this would uh, take place in a timeline before Logan. Everybody, you know, proclaims Logan as this masterpiece that should not be touched. This is the end of Wolverine, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's all fine and dandy. I always liked uh, Hugh Jackman's performance as Wolverine, even uh, if I didn't always like the movies that he appeared in. Uh, Fox's X-Men franchise has been um, messy, to say the least. I don't think that this is some kind of like Hugh Jackman is now the Wolverine of the MCU, and, and now, you know, he, here we are. This is obviously just, you know, sort of a, a an encore, I guess you could say, a one-more-time kind of thing. Um, I think we're going to get a different sort of uh, MCU Wolverine. I would even be uh, pretty, I would actually be surprised if they don't go a different route and do um, X-23 as Wolverine in the MCU. So we get something that's a little different um, since Jackman's performance is so well known and so well liked. 
Um, so I'm actually really, really pleased about this. I'm a big fan of the Deadpool movies. I'm a big fan of Ryan Reynolds generally already, you know, pr- pr- uh, way before his foray in the, you know, comic book movies. So I think this is just a win altogether. Yeah, I'm hoping I, I would still like to see Logan per se in the MCU, because I think um, it's a really important relationship between himself and Laura. So I'm all for, you know, Laura being brought into the MCU. In fact, I think Daphne Keene, you know, should return to the role. I think she was really great. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'm really not putting a whole lot of stock. I'm taking a wait and see approach. Um, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. And then, you know, Hugh Jackman is not going to be playing Wolverine for another 10 years in the MCU. It's just it's just not going to happen. so uh, this is a fun little nod. I think Wolverine as a character, Logan, is at best when he is playing off of other people. I think, unless it's a completely solo one, I think um, I think it's best when he is juxtaposed against people like Deadpool or like Nightcrawler or um, you know Kitty Pride, things of that uh, characters like that. So I, I'm excited to see this. Um, but I'm not like shaking the table like so many fans are. Oh, I'm very, very excited about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I'm I'm not worried about implications for the larger MCU. They opened the the multiverse can of worms, and now they're definitely going to use it for this kind of stuff. And and I'm for that. I mean, um, this kind of fan service is the best kind of fan service because I think we're going to get a really, really interesting movie out of it. Um, so so I'm 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 totally fine with this. I have no concerns whatsoever to be honest with you. And and it's kind of puzzling that people are so perturbed by the Logan of it all. I mean the film like of you know he already died. Well, so did, you know, Charles Xavier in that film and he showed up like it's literally the multiverse. Like this could be an an AU Logan that is not from the Fox X-Men franchise just like Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier was in in multiverse. So uh, I'm really confused by their, you know, confusion, honestly. Yeah. uh, You know, me as well. I'm not quite sure what the problem is, but you know how people are. (laughs) Very (laughs) reactionary. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They kind of get their panties in a bunch. Uh, The biggest problem I think to me always is, Hey, Hey, listen, um, here, here's the fact Logan, uh, the movie is always going to be there, uh, no matter what they do in the future with w- the Wolverine character, no matter you know what they do uh, with Hugh Jackman's return, uh, no matter what happens when they recast the role. Ultimately, um, the movie is always going to be there, and nothing that comes later is going to quote unquote besmirch your experience. Just enjoy the movie and simmer down. All right, Dave, you've got a blast from the past for us. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be talking much more extensively uh, after we get out of Nerd Nightmare about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers because I'm kind of, I guess, re-falling in love with the franchise a little bit. Um, cheesy as it though may be. <laughs> um, I had a mad love for it when it first came out and I was a little kid. Uh, and now we're cruising for the 30th anniversary. And uh, apparently there is going to be a 30th anniversary reunion special that is set to be released in 2023. Now, uh, what exactly that will look like, we're not exactly sure yet. However, we know some stuff already. Um, we know, for example, that original Red Ranger Austin St. John is not going to be able to make it uh, the shoot is uh, not in the United States and he's unable to leave due to some um, 
wire fraud related charges that he has pending over him. So he is not going to be able to be a part of this. Um, Amy Jo Johnson, the original Pink Ranger, has denied having any involvement with the special, which is really depressing. Um, she was many, many uh, people's favorite um, and it would be cool to see her back in pink. Um, Jason David Frank, who was the Green Ranger, the original Sixth Ranger, and eventually the White Ranger, and then the Zeo Red Ranger, and then he made eight billion subsequent appearances. <laughs> um, has a, He has declared that he is retiring from the role officially, and so there is no anticipation that he will be involved. So that doesn't leave a whole lot. We, of course, have the original Yellow Ranger, uh, Tui Trang, who uh, passed away um, after she left the show. She left the show in 1995, passed away in a car accident in 2001. So that's not going to be much of a reunion here. So what are we left with? Well, we got a very, very cool little uh, video on social media that told us exactly that. As it turns out, David Yost, who played the original Blue Ranger, Billy Cranston, and Walter Jones, the original uh, Black Ranger, Zach Taylor, are both set to appear in the reunion special, uh, which is really, really cool. We haven't actually seen uh, Walter Jones again in Power Rangers in a long, long time since his original departure. Unlike, you know, somebody like Austin St. John or uh, Jason David Frank, he has not made a whole lot of, you know, subsequent appearances or anything. Um, the real headliner here to me, however, though, is the return of David Yost as Billy Cranston. I was a big fan of his uh, when I was a kid. Um, his character continued into uh, Power Rangers Zeo. And then, you know, from one episode to the next, suddenly he was like really old and it wasn't the original character. And they're you know, like, oh, he, he accidentally aged and we have to send him to this alien planet to try to de-age him. And then there's like this really weird scene where somebody is like, they're using stock footage and somebody else is doing his voice. And he's like, yeah, I fall in love on this alien planet and I'm not coming back. And and, and I'm just like, what what the heck happened? Well, we didn't exactly know what happened. Uh, you know, other Power Rangers had left at that point, three to be precisely. He was the, the fourth of the originals to leave. Um, and the, the common story at the time was pay dispute. Uh, well, in an interview in 2010, we then finally found out what was really going on, and that is that, you know, David Yost uh, is gay. Um, he, you know, showed up on set for years without having a girlfriend or anything, and people started teasing him about it and bullying him and harassing him, and it escalated to the point where he was, you know, dealing with major depression, you know, considering suicide, and, and he left. He just walked out one day and never came back. Um, and he has had, uh, you know, by, based on my research, a very fraught journey, you know, trying conversion therapy even at one point, um, finally, you know, settling, uh, you know, into accepting who he is and, and is in a much better place apparently now. And lo and behold, here he is returning to Power Rangers. And it is so exciting as a fan um, to see him back in the fray. Um, obviously, all these people that were on the production team are no longer involved with Power Rangers. In fact, Power Rangers has even like changed ownership. I think Disney uh, bought you know the franchise among many other things at some point because you know that's what Disney does to buy everything. Um, so seeing him return to the role is a real like headline moment for me, and I cannot wait for this reunion special just to see the Blue Ranger back in action. Dude, I'm in. Like, Billy and Zach were my two favorites. So, like, that's all I need. I know a lot of people were crushing on Kimberly Joe Johnson as the Pink Ranger. That's all fine and dandy. Um, guilty, guilty. <laughs> listen, uh, I'm I'm honestly shocked that Jason David Frank is 
retiring because there is absolutely no one in any franchise that has milked something quite like Jason David Frank has with, you know, being Tommy. Um, like he, he, he's just like so emblematic of the franchise and he will never let you forget about it. It's, it's hilarious to me to see like his social media pages and everything. But that being said, uh, I love Walter Jones. Zach was always my favorite black Ranger for life. Um, and, and Billy was, I mean, like they're my two favorite colors, black and blue. So, I mean, Billy was super cool, you know, as the only one with glasses, you know, nerd representation, you know? Uh, (laughs) uh, so I, and then when I found out about, um, David's treatment, it it was just absolutely heartbreaking. And so I'm, I'm so glad to hear that he's in a better place. And I'm so glad to hear that, that he's found self acceptance, um, and I'm excited to see this come to fruition. Power Rangers was one of the most formative things, you know, of my youth. And I haven't really revisited it um, other than the TMNT crossover, which was fantastic. Um, but more on that in your nerd commendation when we when we head to November. But I'm, I'm really, really excited to see how this comes to fruition. I do, too. And, you know, there were uh, some of the uh, first first run replacements on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that are probably going to make an appearance to sub in for some of the ones that uh, aren't going to be part of this. And and then there's uh, a rumor going around that they're going to have actually Trini's daughter as a character, which is an interesting way of kind of trying to uh, pay tribute to somebody who passed away. So it's just a really cool thing overall. Alrighty, folks. Well, uh, there you have it. That's it for Nerd News. Stick around as Chris sits down with Mark Bernal of Lesser Known Comics to talk either them or us on Kickstarter October 18th. Welcome back to this week's Meat and Potatoes segment. You know it is our byword... And this week, we have yet another returning guest. I guess we're just awesome like that. Uh, We have Mark Bernal. You remember him, folks, from being the founder of Lesser Known Comics, and he's got another book to talk to us about. Mark, thank you so much for coming back on the Byword. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what's been up since we talked last, Mark? Uh, You know, I I, uh, it had already been a busy year, and I, you know, I was starting to feel the the burn and I was starting to feel like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll slow things down for the summer. And then, um, we kind of just got, um, bombarded by a bunch of amazing creator owned, uh, comics that, um, you know, when people come up to you and they have, Hey, I got a book. It's, it's already done. I just need someone to help me launch this Kickstarter. And in some cases have them already printed and that, you know, um, I was, you know, I'd be an idiot to say no, um, so whereas I thought we only had one campaign left in the year when we were in, um, July, um, uh, we, we're, we now we've run, I think we're in the middle of the fourth of, or no, the third of five. <laughs> so wow. it's, um, it's going to be busy. Um, we're going to end up running campaigns all the way up to, um, December and then, um, we'll take a holiday break and then, um, um, and then get back into it next year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, uh, the big one, um, that I've been focusing on finally is after doing 
so many creator-owned books uh, of other people's works is uh, I'll have my first uh, full-length book um, coming out, uh, well, launching on October 18th. So it's funny you say that. And as our listeners know, and they're probably like rolling their eyes as I say this, but we have like a two week kind of cushion, you know, with both Dave's schedules and and my own, uh, you know, with the start of the school year and everything. So we have a two week backlog. So when we record an episode, it doesn't premiere for another two weeks. So you had approached me about, you know, pitching another book. And I was like, I'm so sorry by the time that episode you know, we could record it right now, but by the time that episode would air, the the book would be completely funded. And you're like, that's okay, I got another one. <laughs> so um, tell us about the book that you just referenced, either them or us, written by yourself and illustrated by lesser known veteran at this point, Franco Luna. Yeah, um, so uh, Franco, um, you know, he had just done the, uh, the Good Night, um, book, uh, with us, uh, when absolutely terrifying. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, so I, you know, we got to get him back into his bread and butter of doing like, you know, action and, um, you know, a little bit of blood and guts and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, this book was totally done. Um, uh, you know, the way that me and Franco work is, um, you know, I, I kind of give him the background of like the whole lesser known universe. And then I give him some loose scripts, you know, with a lot of like um, area to play in terms of like how he wants to interpret those scripts. Um, and, you know, the lesser known universe, you know, there's there's parts of the story that take place in, in the U.S. and in South America um, and in Japan and. Uh, and he just was really gravitating to the stuff having to do with the Japanese witches and samurais and stuff. And, you know, he, he's just a very frank guy where he's just like, he's like, yeah, you know, I want to, I want to draw more samurais. So, um, we're going to do some more samurai stuff. And I, it was, and I wasn't really intending on capturing that part of the story arc yet, but you know, when an artist is having fun, you know, you just kind of have to capitalize on, on that. So, um, we decided to, choose a part of of the lesser known universe canon that takes place in 1980s japan that um covers a rivalry you know that that's lasted centuries between witches and and uh, a samurai lineage uh, lineage so this is like a crazy hodgepodge of you know some of my favorite you know comic book runs um you know as a fellow x-men fan as i if i remember correctly um, you know, that 80s Claremont, you know, most of it is set in Japan. Uh, that definitely, you know, emanates from the press release that I'm looking at here. But also the current IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles run um, is, is the art especially is jumping off the page. Of course, you know, the Japanese influence on the Ninja Turtles and everything. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking, that, you know, like like Japanese um mysticism and stuff is really influenced on the current idw run so that really jumps out what made you guys want to fuse all of these elements together because this is you know you got some high-tech stuff in here too like futuristic technology yeah um so the you know the story arcs that i've been writing have um 
they they've all originated with um, a, a character that actually takes place in um, that that most first story arc takes place either in California um, or in South America. Um, but uh, one of the interesting parts about you know um, uh, California and countries like Peru um, is that they have a huge Japanese influence. Um, you know. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't know that like Peru actually had like a Japanese president. Um, they still called him El Chino, but um, he, you know, they, they have a huge, like their ceviche is, is just like unbelievably, um, you know, delicious there, you know, with that fusion of, you know, South America and, and Japanese uh, culture. So, um, so I was always intrigued by that and I was intrigued by, you know, coming from the San Francisco Bay area with, uh, both, you know, Japantown and Chinatown, just, you know, seeing those influences. So, um, I kind of just wanted to like build that out. Um, also, um, my wife's family's from the Philippines, um, and seeing that, um, that cultural, um, interaction, um, between, um, you know, World War II, you know, they, uh, Philippines has a, has a strained relationship with, you know, both China and Japan for vastly different reasons during, you know, very similar time periods. Um, and that, that history has always intrigued me. So that, um, you know, um, being able to capture all those, those characters and all those themes in one place, and then, yeah, like you were talking about with like the Claremont run. And I, you know, I think also, um, uh, you know, when, when Storm was rocking the Mohawk, you know, yeah. that's, I'm just, yeah. you know, that's, that's what I'm like drawn to. And, and, you know, our, um, uh, the, one of the factions within the book is, you know, the Fujimoto family and they are the samurai lineage and they have, you know, one, there's only one female uh, that's part of this, you know, henchman mercenary crew that they have. And she's just like largely inspired, you know, by that style that like Storm had, you know, just, you know, the short hair and it's, you know, um, uh, just a very striking, you know, silhouette. It's really funny you say that because um, my background is in Spanish. And so, you know, like Latinx culture is like one of my great passions in life, you know, outside of like nerddom and, and all of that. And and um, you mentioned Peru and, and other elements of South America, but like um, Argentina is one that I always cling to and um, seeing the fusion of the influx of immigration from particularly Italy and like into like Buenos Aires. And you have like the fusion of that cuisine and culture and language. And uh, it's just fascinating to see like the melting pot uh, that that this really becomes. Yeah. um, And uh, I think Franco has a particular appreciation for that, you know, being from, being from Argentina. Yeah. Um, And um, you know, uh, so you know, perhaps that, you know, that, that may have influenced his, his, um, you know, being so drawn to, to the multicultural, uh, portions of the story. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always blown away about how, um, I think there's like sometimes like a, a false perception of history of, you know, that the, 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 there was a separation of all these, you know, 
distinct worlds and cultures, you know, up until recently, you know, people talk about globalism and things like that as being like a recent event, you know, but you can visit in places like Oregon where they have the bars still there where people were like literally Shanghai, you know, has the trap. Yeah. You're just like, what? (laughs) You know, like this was not in my textbooks, you know, like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And in many cases it's only exists in like comics and stuff like that. Those nods to those types of, 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 of stories. Uh, It's um, a not so subtle nerd commendation that Dave gave me before we even started the show was the stuff you missed in history podcast that like all those things that like, oh, my God, like and that, you know, things like um, the Tulsa massacre um, that, you know, came to light because of like comic inspired like you know, pop culture nerd inspired shows like love, uh, Lovecraft country and Watchmen, like was brought back into like popular knowledge and pop culture, like things that we just like wanted to brush away as, as American consumers and, you know, citizens. It's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that drew me even as a young kid to, to Latinx culture was like, it's, it's not monolithic. It's so diverse. It's so, inclusive and it's so complex that i was just like i i really need to dilute this it's almost like a science project because there's so many different influences from so many different sources yeah you know i um i i did have to fudge with some of um the locations and do a little bit of like alternative history and things like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Just, um so you know um you know i came up with the a city just called you know kaijo city which um most of the events in either them or us takes place, you know, and it's um, um, it, just so that I can have Tokyo run by witches and has like you know, <laughs> a, a history that closely parallels, you know, um, what was happening in Japan in the 1980s. But um, if the modernization of Japan was largely uh, a, a conspiracy of witches to get rid of, you know, the samurai, um you know, and, and tying that back to, you know, even the World War Two, you know, war tribunals and things like that of, of having, you know, that being a way to um, target past grudges within a particular country. Um, you know, that's, uh, it's not an unpopular concept, but, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, and in, in like any, you know, uh, war-torn area where, um, uh outside forces and uh, being used to settle, you know, domestic scores, um, essentially, you know, so, so tried to, to um, make a history that, that, that paralleled, you know, real history, but, you know, obviously you got some room for, for fiction when you, when you have to, you know, sprinkle in, um, you know, uh, witchcraft and samurais, you know, being, you know, at odds during those periods and being the driving forces of, of major world events. I, I've, I've said it on this show before, but like I, I really think that there is no other country that has, you know, been like a wellspring for inspiration than the country of Japan for nerddom. Like, I mean, look at the, all the things that have sprung from this country and its culture and its influence. I mean, you have you have anime, you have, you know, kaiju films, you have Godzilla, you have, 
you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is heavily influenced, you know, from Japanese culture and history. It's just crazy to think that one country has such a lasting influence on pop culture. Yeah. Um, and, and I love, I've loved hearing about that journey. Um, you know, that, you know, when Ray uh, Garza from Tank McGregor talks to me about, um, Mighty Mor- he you know he grew up in Mexico and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh my god, yes. First. yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I find that so intriguing. 90s kids rise up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I I agree and I um I I've also tried to write these stories in a way that um uh I sprinkle in the, the, the foreign dialogue, um, in a way that, um, uh, makes it so that the readers, um, don't get spoon fed what, what that, what that foreign dialogue actually is. Um, so they, so that you just get a separate experience if you're, if you're a Japanese speaker or a Spanish speaker, an English speaker, um, hey, you you are preaching to the choir as a language teacher, my friend. So, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, in either them, uh, either them or us, at least in the first issue, the only Japanese you really uh, see is um, uh, c- cuss words and actual uh, uh, cursing um, is is where then the rest of it's taking place in English and um, and then in other parts of the lesser known universe. Um, largely based on my experience as a um uh i'd say somewhere between I, i'm a highly functional amateur like uh spanish speaker so <laughs> uh, um, in a place like south america like in peru or ecuador where a lot of people's first language is quechua like i can speak spanish with them because we're both speaking like high school spanish yes and i feel super comfortable in that element i speak more spanish in ecuador or a place like that than i do in california where i grew up because most people they see when they see me struggling they'll just switch to english and you know and 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 i feel bad right i don't want like someone to be like you know you know they might just be trying to interact with me you know at, at the grocery store or you know at the dmv or whatever and and i don't want them to feel like i'm forcing them into you know being my my five minute spanish tutor um (laughs) we have no choice you know we have no choice when when we're in a place like uh you know um like peru or ecuador or something like that where um i don't speak quechua they don't speak english so this this is this is what we got this is our commonality yeah (laughs) no let me tell you i always tell my students that it is like going to the gym and you have to be constantly in shape because let me tell you, they told me uh, this year that I would be teaching a different course. I would not be teaching Spanish this year. And um, so I got a call to the office and they said, we need you. We need you, Chris. We need you. We have a, you know, a parent that doesn't speak English. I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't spoke exclusively Spanish in months. And um, I just blamed it on the noise of the, you know, like the office was really busy. I didn't understand a thing that woman was saying. And this is something that I've done, you know, as a focal point of my entire life since I was 16 years old. But it was a struggle, man. Yeah, it is a constant muscle that you have to work at. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, 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 I'm definitely always, always amazed by how quickly, you know, 
Um, and it could be anything. Yeah. Uh, I was playing a lot of piano during quarantine and yes, I mean, that was yeah. less than two years ago and the amount of amount of music I don't know how to play already, <laughs> you know, yeah. is, is just astounding to me. Uh, so, um, you know, as is, you know, the, the, the going rate with Kickstarters and, and crowdfundings, what kind of incentives can potential backers look forward to with this project? Uh, so we had a couple of things that we were, we were trying out. Um, so uh, the things that I really like, um, uh, you know, variant covers are, are pretty standard. Um, um, but um, I, I've always liked the um, like to have like sketch covers and things like that where, um, yeah, where someone can get a custom one of one. Um, and, but the tough part about that was, um, uh, Franco being in Argentina, right? So how would, how do we send art, you know, how do I send, you know, print up copies of the book, send them to Argentina, which last package I sent him in Argentina cost like $95 just to get it there. Yeah. Yep. Um, have him fill them out, you know, then send them back, um, you know. So do that. Um, so we, we talked, um, um, you know, I talked it over with him and I said, <clears throat> I think what we want to do is partner with some folks here in the States to do some variant covers. Um, and then they could also take over the sketch cover portion. Um, and then, you know, we, we, uh, we identified two variant cover artists um, that um, have just a style completely different than Franco's, but, um, could do something, you know, that, that was, that was super complimentary of the story. Um, so Reese Jenkins is, um, is one of the variant cover artists. He's based out of New York. Um, and he's got a total, um, it's that graffiti verse meets manga style. And, you know, he, he just, um, any, you know, the, the meeting of, I guess, you know, helicopters and samurais, you know, <laughs> like, um, that style, like I, he just, he just hit it, you know, right on the head. Um, so it'll be, um, uh, him that's, that's going to be doing all the sketch covers, you know, the one-on-ones, uh, type things, um, which would be, which would be good. Cause he'll end up releasing some books of his own through lesser known mm-hmm. comics, but right. this is like awesome. a nice way that he can like dip his dough toe into like the Kickstarter experience without yeah, having to be sure. responsible for yeah the entire production of a book. I have to ask you because I'm I'm looking at this this art in the press release again. Um did Franco do the inks and colors or or, or who's doing those? Because it's just gorgeous. Uh yeah Franco does all the um inks and pencils but um he's got a buddy down there in Argentina um named uh Nick Torres um that does the colors. I, I just love the contrast of like these heavy action scenes with like these very light pastel colors. It's just really contradictory in a really beautiful way. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I actually speak to the colorist very infrequently. Like it's only like, like, Hey, do you have a Twitter handle? I, I forgot how to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's been really nice. Uh, yeah. Just that, um, you know, uh, uh, Franco is such a competent artist that um, I'm actually really glad that I don't have to pick a colorist for him, you know, because I think um, in many it's like ways, a pa- it's like a package deal almost. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I would imagine, 
if I was a colorist, you know, I, I could find myself to be very uh, intimidated to work on Franco's inks because his, his inks are always just so immaculate. Um, you know, so I, I could imagine <laughs> being like, uh, so I'm just glad I don't have to be, so like, all right, Franco, if you're happy. It's already with, taken care of. That's great. You know, that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I'm, I'm curious, and this is one that I kind of improvised on, but if, if people do miss out on previous Kickstarters, um, like the book we were talking about previously, um, and crowdfunding projects, is there like a second chance opportunity? Are they listed on your website or anything like that, that, that folks can get like a second chance to, to get their hands on those books? Yeah, so they're available in two ways. Um, you know, eventually they get onto our website, um, which, um, you know, uh, the interesting thing is, um, and when you talk to a lot of indie comic book creators, um, 90%, somewhere between 80 and 90% of their sales um, will typically come from either Kickstarters or conventions. Um, and there's something about weird human behavior where um, people nine out of 10 times are going to buy a book from a Kickstarter campaign and not from a website. I think it's the ticking clock portion of it. Yes. Yes. It's, it's the exclusivity. Let me tell you, it's the exclusivity (laughs) speaking from experience. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, one thing that we, uh, do on all our campaigns now is, um, um, as you get past the regular tiers of, you know, um, you know, the lowest tier is always, you know, the digital one, then the physical, then maybe exclusive variants. And then, um, but you get to the, to the, to the, uh, more expensive tiers. Um, we have, you know, collect the entire, you know, lesser known comics catalog. And then in the add-ons, we also have um, uh, past books from past campaigns available as an add-on. Now we won't have like those exclusive variants and stuff that they had from the particular, you know, Kickstarter campaign. Um, you know, uh, we'll just have like the, you know, their standard covers and stuff like that. Um, but what it makes it nice is because inevitably the day after Kickstarter closes, somebody reaches out and they're like, oh, man, like just, I just missed it. And you're like, you know, problem, you know, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can get that. Um, and I had a really nice message with um, uh, from uh, from somebody who was uh, was bummed. He missed uh, the campaign for uh, Tights, which is a, a book we just picked up, um, but it's now available um, as an add on in the Urico uh, campaign, which is, um, you know, at the time we're recording, this is, is, is currently going. Um, and, uh, and he was, it was just really cool, I guess, to, to, to have that, uh, that, that person say, Oh, I love both those books. I'll go back that campaign. (laughs) I was like, ah, the, the, the process works. So I didn't really sleep well after I read, you know, Franco's Good Night. But, you know, I in looking at this press release, I'm like, are you sure that is the same artist? Is that is that a typo there? Um, so w- was that like just like an outlier or or what was this experience like, I guess, working with Franco? Is this your first experience working with him exclusively? Um, no, I actually have. Um, so... Um, like if you go to um, 
like global comics um with an x um oh we just teased that last episode drew edwards last week's guest listeners yeah global global comics uh we we want to support as much as possible yeah yeah um yeah great people um and um uh i speak to eric from that company you know quite a bit just as i bombard him with my ignorance all the time and uh, (laughs) they're very supportive they're very um uh, in tune with the indie scene. Um, and I think that's going to be a platform that's going to do extremely well. Um, but, um, some of our earlier stuff, lesser known comics, number three, um, for example, is one of the first ones I did with Franco, um, is available for, to read for free on that. Um, so you can see Franco's style, you know, um, and it's a short book. I want to say it's six or eight pages. Um, and it actually takes place shortly after um, this either them or us um, story arc. Um, but it's all within that cell, same uh, lesser known comics universe. Um, we made all these short minis as an exercise for me to kind of just test out these illustrators to kind of see like, do we enjoy working together? Like, is our styles complementary? You know, like, can they handle like the way I do... Um, uh, do scripts, which sometimes is in Word doc and sometimes it's in, you know, a, a, a string of incoherent DMs on Instagram. <laughs> uh, I, feel, I feel that in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Franco, um, actually, the, the funny thing on either them or us, uh, he, um, um, so to answer your question is he's, he's done, he did a, he did a yeah six or eight page mini with me. And then um, that's on global comics. Um, uh, so if you just search lesser known comics, it, it, it should be available for free. It's, it's lesser known comics, number three. And then um, uh, he has a nine or 11 pager that we haven't released yet. Um, uh, just cause I really wanted to have a, like a full length release. So that's why I prioritize the, this uh, either them or us um, issue one because it's it's a full twenty two page you know um, issue, but um, we've at least reached comfortability working together. That Franco, without asking, was just like, "Oh, I changed the end of your book. I changed the ending," <laughs> um, <laughs> and that, and only that would happen if you're using like the Marvel method, like like I rely on so much with you know, with him, um, but you know, like he's just having so much fun. He's such a good visual storyteller that like, I was like, okay, you know, and I just checked out the pencils and I was like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't take away from the story. Um, It sets up, I think a little bit better for, for issue number two, you know, but I was, I was just like pleasantly surprised at like um, both the, his confidence and the level of comfortability to just be like, uh, yes, I have changed the ending to your story. Don't worry, you'll love it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything uh, on the horizon that you can tease for us at the moment? Um, like in terms of other other releases? and Yeah, other projects, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah so, um, you know, one of the reasons I was feeling the burnout um, in the middle of the year is that I'm I'm actually sitting on about 15 books that are done, but not released. Um, and um, we, 
for some reason, I don't know, Samurais, like, remind me of, like, Autumn. <laughs> so, so, like, that, <laughs> that first initial... Samurai, Samurais are giving fall. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's, like, a, a style guide somewhere, a fashion guide. It's like, <laughs> yes, you wear your Samurai. Uh, <laughs> after uh, after Labor Day, you wear only your after Samurai, Labor Day. <laughs> samurai garb. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was really, like, you know, I had it in my mind, hey, we're going to release this in October. Um, and I had in my mind that October was going to be the last campaign that we were going to do of the year. Um, that ends up not being the case, but, um, but either way, uh, I had to pick one of these 15 books to be the first one out the gate. Um, and, uh, so, um, we have either them or us number two, pretty much pretty much done it's just a matter of when we want to release that it's probably going to be in like mid 2023 um and then we have um we have about four parallel story arcs that are all happening within the same universe with 22 page issues happening now franco's not illustrating all those like there's different artists that are are taking different uh stories there's overlaps in characters so perhaps a a a protagonist in in one story arc is going to be an antagonist in another um and i'm trying to do that on purpose so that you know um by the time you know 2024 comes around 2025 comes around i've hopefully developed characters that people would want to root for and then i can pin them against each other so that (laughs) (laughs) just to cause that that uh that struggle you know um event event books on the horizon y'all crossover yeah. and and you know those those are what those lesser known comics number cuz we've released lesser known comics number 1 2 3 or through 7 and um those will trickle out as well throughout the year you know when I'm trying out a new artist I essentially give them um a piece of the overall lesser known universe to essentially make like an uh, event um, story. Um, cause I was, um, I just really loved, you know, like how, you know, in secret wars, right. Like the, uh, the all the story arcs from Spider-Man to X-Men to fantastic four all have to deal with the fallout of, you know, that, um, so, uh, I'm just, yeah, really in the process of deciding, you know, w- which ones will be serialized under their own, you know, title story arc and which ones will be serialized under lesser known comics, number eight, nine, and 10, you know, and, and figuring out when to release those. Um, but yeah, we, it, there's, yeah, 15 books is, um, is what's sitting in the queue, you know, just waiting for essentially letters and final design. So Mark, thank you so much for your time, but where can we all go to support you, Lesser Known Comics, and all your guys' work? Uh, best place um, on social media is um, uh, at Lesser Known Comics on Instagram, and then um, lesserknowncomics.com uh, will typically have a pointer to whatever Kickstarter we have going. Um, and um, and then, uh, yeah, on Twitter... Um, lesser K comics. That was the best we could do. Um, and, um, uh, and then, yeah, if people have questions, um, contact at lesser known comics or to myself, Mark at lesser known comics.com. Uh, you know, definitely don't be a stranger. We try and not only, um, 
we try and support um, other indie comic creators. We try and support folks who are getting uh, anthologies off the ground. Um, just any time that we, we get a chance, if we don't have the answer, we can typically find somebody who, who does, um, or, you know, provide you multitude of people who, you know, can support, um, whatever somebody's endeavor is related to, you know, making comics. Um, cause we, we're, we're definitely part of that. It takes a village, <laughs> uh, type of thought. Mark, thank you so much for your time and best, uh, wishes in all your future endeavors, my friend. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. And thanks again for, uh, to Mark Bernal for sitting down with us and talking about either them or us. Check out the book on Kickstarter on October 18th. And after this, our final break, we are heading into Nerd Nightmare. So dim the lights and strap in. All right, folks, we're back, and it is time for our October staple. Yes, you know it as... And once again, it's time to try to scare the pants off of Chris, our little scaredy cat, who is still in his infancy when it comes to learning about the horror genre. Uh, And this week, we are actually checking out... A Quiet Place, something that's a little more modern uh, and features everybody's favorite office character, perhaps. Um, It's a very cool little movie uh, dealing with uh, sort of an an alien race, perhaps, although it's never fully explained, uh, that uh, hunts humans by sound. Uh, A whole bunch of people are dead, and this one family is trying to be extremely quiet to survive. Uh, Chris, I'm absolutely fascinated to hear your take on this movie. I think I'm graduated from my infancy, even past toddlerdom maybe, and maybe into full-fledged childhood when it comes to my scaredness, because I'm now to the point where I'm like doing the textbook thing where you're like yelling at the television, or in my case, my iPhone, like, why are you doing this? This sounds like a terrible idea. And I've, I've, I've graduated to like the logical applications of, of the script. Um, why in the world would you try to have another baby uh, in a world like this? Um, because as, as parents, you know, Dave, um, we, we both know that, that babies are not quiet. Um, you know, listen to some of our recordings. Hey, there you go, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to point out that maybe the local drugstore ran out of condoms or something. <laughs> I mean, birth control in, in a post-apocalypse might not be that easy, Chris. I'm not sure. Do they hunt via sound and contraceptives? Do they also hunt contraceptives? <laughs> <laughs> While you're there at the pharmacy, perhaps. Um, now, um it's the first thing that everybody rated out of that pharmacy. Right? They're like, forget the penicillin, we're getting all the condoms. <laughs> that that was sort of the goal there, yeah. But yeah, I thought this was a really cool film. I wasn't ever really scared. Um, it kind of transported me back home to the Midwest. I know this was probably set in like New England, knowing that that Krasinski is from like the Boston area. So that was probably like a this was probably like a New England type of setting, but it, it was similar to like the American Midwest and like growing up in like. Um, small town Minnesota and like seeing the farmland and and the cornfields like that transported me back. That was really, really cool. And then um, it it was just really, really creative. That first 
that first 20 minutes should be shown perhaps to disobedient children as to like why you should listen to your parents. <laughs> maybe a, maybe a tad aggressive, but like they told you the toy was too loud and and look what happened to you, buddy. No. <laughs> look, I'm not, I'm not I'm not saying that it's too aggressive. You got to remember that I grew up in Europe and and our fairy tales are pretty aggressive. Yes! So, you know, oh. re, re, read the original Grimm fairy tales right. and you'll, you'll know uh, we, we we hit you over the head with morality. You will die if you do not <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was really cool um, you know, seeing a husband and wife team like this, you know, and you could see like the attention to detail and the love in the creation of this film. Um, and, you know, as a father, like that final scene with John Krasinski's character, um, it, it was really heartrending. And, you know, like I, I could feel that as a dad. So that was, that was a bittersweet moment for me. Um, I'm actually interested in checking out the second one because it is a genius lead into the second film. Um, and I think it's just really creative and really cool, like the entire storyline around their daughter's, you know, hearing loss and her health condition and like how they turn that into like a strategy to survive. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, like it, it's just I, I really, really enjoyed the film overall, was not super scared, um, but I think it was just like a really smart movie. Yeah, I think it does a really good job, you know, rat- ratcheting up the tension, even if it's not necessarily it's a, scary. It's suspense. It is very suspenseful. It was stressful. Yeah. It was anxiety inducing. Um, after I found, after I saw that she was pregnant, I had to like pause to cook dinner. So I'm just sitting there for like an hour while I'm cooking dinner. I'm like, why would you, why would you not? So like, like, that was like a big thing. I'm like sitting here arguing with myself as I'm cooking dinner. And then I went back and, but yeah, the suspense is top notch. Um, and it's just really well done. Um, how the feedback like of her hearing device, um, her hearing aid kind of messes with them. And then it's like this homing beacon of sorts. Like, like I said, leading into the end of that, I'm, I'm really intrigued to just follow up with the second film. And I think, and I think you'll enjoy it. I, I think this movie is one of the movies that convinced me that Krasinski is is a pretty talented dude, way beyond whatever he did on The Office. I'm not, you know, like a huge Office watcher or anything, but you know, he was deeply involved in the story here. He directed this. Um, his acting in this, I think, is top notch. It's a very different kind of role. Um, and I absolutely adore Emily Blunt. I don't think I don't think she can do anything wrong. I think she is perfect, and she knows this. Um, anytime that she pops up in a movie, I want to watch it. Uh, she's absolutely one of my you know, like top five favorite actresses, you know, working right now. Um, so, th- so this was sort of like you know, perfect sort of uh, casting stuff. I really love also, uh, what is the actress's name? Um, M- Millicent Simmons or yes. something like that. Yes, yes. So she, uh, she, you know, was actually uh, has hearing loss. So the idea of you know hiring somebody who actually has hearing loss to play a ca- character with hearing loss, you know, to, to give it that authenticity is just really really smart. I think. Oh, listen! Um, I, I listen to this quote by Krasinski. Uh, he said, "For many reasons, I didn't want a non-deaf actress pretending to be deaf. A deaf actress would help my knowledge and my understanding of the situations tenfold. I wanted someone who lives it and who could teach me about it on set. That's just genius." It is. It is. It was fanta- a fantastic choice. Um, and so I, I just really love all the tense moments. You know, there's a lot of stuff here about family, about about parenthood, uh, about how you relate to your kids. Um, 
the whole thing in the bathtub when she's you know giving birth absolutely like broke me i was like just be quiet how can you be quiet giving birth this is ridiculous it was such no, a good the scene. nail no um, then you you go f- straight from that from like stepping onto the nail having to pull her foot out of the nail then go give birth then fight off these aliens like what the heck yeah, if, if, if nothing else, you can say this is definitely a, a movie that once again illustrates how strong and powerful women are. Um, but it's just an absolutely fantastic little suspense film, and I, and I absolutely adore it, you know. Um, and I'm really, really glad you enjoyed it as well. Uh, I would say that the second is very good as well, probably not quite as good. It doesn't hit quite as hard on the emotional level, I think. Um, you know, a lot of this parenthood stuff in the first one really hits perfectly. Um but it is still a very good movie, and, and I would be interested to hear your take on that one as well eventually. Yeah, I'm really um, – it really struck home with me the complicated relationship that he has with his his oldest daughter. Um, I guess the only daughter, but like where she blames herself for um, the, the, the four-year-old, the toddler's death. And like it's just a it's just a massive miscommunication, and that's something that, you know, as a parent of – of preteens and teenagers I can incredibly relate to. I think all kids go through that phase and where there's just a misunderstanding where you think like your parents don't love you or, um, you know, so that was incredibly relatable, obviously to a much more extreme extent, but like I, I could feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. It's just, it's a fun little movie. Um, even though it hits hard emotionally. I mean, how, how many movies, horror movies do you know that kill like a toddler in the first 10 minutes and then like, okay, this is where we start. Um, it hits pretty hard, man. I think this, I think this is, is like the first time I've could, could take, you know, admittedly I've been very agnostic of, you know, Krasinski outside of the office. This is the first time that I've really seen it. The, the Jack Ryan ones, I, I tried like the first episode and it was, it just didn't work for me. Um, and then, I think the the Reed Richards cameo was such a fan servicey moment, and it seemed like he was just doing it for the fans that it didn't really bring a whole lot to that performance. And this is the first time I've seen him n- not as Jim Halpert, which if I do nothing else in my life, you will watch The American Office. Um, <laughs> and uh, so this was this is this is kind of rekindled that for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I find him totally believable in this, and his directing is really flawless. I do not know where he got all, you know, the basic know-how. He must have watched a lot of horror movies because a lot of the, you know, the way the camera moves, the cuts, and everything is pretty darn spot on. He he did a really good job with that, man. You know what? It almost evoked like signs or like something out of M Night Shyamalan's, but without like the eye roll of most M Night Shyamalan <laughs> movies. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of eye roll in the Shyamalan movies. Also, also, I have extreme beard envy of Krasinski in this movie, so um, maybe that's part of my enjoy my my enjoyment of it as well. Oh man, I cannot grow a beard like that. I wish I could. Right? I would love to be all fuzzy like that once, <laughs> but it just doesn't work out. Beard envy, another another problem we have, Chris. Good God. Alrighty, folks. Well, there you have it. Uh, next week, of course, another nerd nightmare. This week, why don't you go ahead and head over to social media and tell us what you thought of A Quiet Place uh, and what you think about Chris's take as the not-quite-toddler of horror movies. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at NerdByWord and individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. And as always, please like and subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform for the Nerd by Word. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Amazon Music, you name it, we're there. 
Uh, also, hit the link in our bios. That link tree will give you like so many different cool websites, including our Discord server, where you can chat it up with us on all the cool nerdy stuff happening right now that doesn't get to make it on the show just because there's so much awesome stuff. You can also get some merch from Redbubble or T Public. But as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.